Book two, chapter nineteen of Garcia Moreno by Augustine Birth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. The Fall of President Carrion, eighteen sixty seven. On returning from Chile, Garcia Moreno only spent a few days at Quito to give account of his mission to the president, and then returned to Guayaquil to his brother Pablo to help him in his business. Having no private fortune, and being far too scrupulous to profit by his late position, at the expense of the public, he had no other resource but to work for his living. Besides, with the weak and vacillating policy of Carrion and the hostility of Bustamante, he had nothing to do at Quito until the conservatives should again implore his help to save them from the radical torrent, which again threatened to overwhelm them. In fact, for more than a year the revolutionary papers had made a regular crusade against religion and order. In the electoral campaign of 1867, the most ultra-radicals were chosen as candidates, a club called the republican society which garcia marina had closed was reopened and from thence the most scandalous publications were issued daily against the past and present government nevertheless the government remained apparently indifferent and the result was that the elections were carried by the revolutionists garcia marino however was triumphantly chosen as senator in spite of all the efforts of the urbanists finding him an insuperable obstacle to their plans they determined to invalidate his election a proceeding which was entirely contrary to law and justice, as a man chosen by the provincial junta could not, according to the constitution, be deprived of his post as senator. Garcia Marina knew that his enemies had determined to exclude him from the senate, but was equally determined to appear in his place at the opening of the chambers. Nothing could be more hostile than the majority of the senators. Pedro Carbo, Urbinus Factotum, had been elected president, Para vice-president, and Jara secretary. It was, in fact, an urbanist club. The president's feeble message having been read, the verification of the election of the senators followed. Garcia Marina submitted his, like the rest, and Dara, who had read out the official notices, was so troubled by Garcia Marina's presence that he stumbled at every word. The next day it was announced that all the elections were valid save that of Garcia Marino. His exclusion was to be debated in the chamber, and he was requested to withdraw during the discussion. This was the height of injustice. In certain countries of Europe, the system of arbitrary invalidation of the election of honest men is audaciously carried out, but at least they are allowed to be present to defend their rights and avenge their honor, while in Ecuador you are judged in your absence. Garcia Marino, certain that the verdict would be hostile, prepared to return to Guayaquil. Things, however, did not go quite as smoothly as his enemies hoped. Among the senators was a conscientious and just man, Dr. Antonio Mata, a political enemy of Garcia Marina's, but a passionate lover of right and justice. Hardly had the proposal been made to invalidate Garcia Marina's election than he protested in the name of the law against the decision, declaring that they were absolutely incompetent, according to the Constitution, to disqualify any senator who had been elected by the provincial junta. To this reasoning the majority could only oppose ridiculous arguments, vociferations against the junta, and fresh invectives against Garcia Marino. Mustanza became insolent and declared that all the evils of Ecuador arose from men who followed too closely the gospel precept of offering the left cheek to those who had smitten them on the right, and then burst forth in fresh abuse of the ex-president. Dr. Mata indignantly replied that he was far from being one of those evangelical men of whom the lawyer Mustanza had spoken, that he was too quick of temper and too ready to revenge an insult but that, at the bottom of his soul, he had a conscience, and this conscience told him that he had come to the Senate, 
not to indulge in his personal wrongs or animosities, but to give expression to those feelings of right and justice which no one could eradicate from his heart. Three or four of the senators only had the courage to vote with Dr. Mata for Garcia Moreno. The rest, blinded by their passions, pronounced his exclusion from the Senate. Then, having got rid of the one man whose honesty they feared, they proceeded to pass a variety of laws against the police and in favor of conspirators, which culminated in a formal accusation against President Carrion and his ministers of illegal legislative proceedings. This was a declaration of war. Bustamante imprisoned Mistanza and five other senators, but the Congress declared that they would sit indefinitely till they were released. Carrion then decreed the dissolution of the Congress and sent a battalion to disperse the members in case of resistance. But in consequence of a new law, not a single officer could be found who would notify to the Congress the decree of dissolution. The members, furious at seeing themselves surrounded by soldiers, burst forth in invectives against Carrion and Bustamante. But instead of arrest or punishment, Bustamante sent in his resignation. Then Carrion, to save himself from the radical horde, which his weakness had encouraged, chose a new ministry composed entirely of Garcia Marina's friends, and offered him the command of the army. But Garcia Marina replied that though quite ready to meet the wishes of the government, he thought that the position should be reserved for military men. He was perfectly right to refuse any share in the weak administration of President Carrion, for only a fortnight later, in order to save Bustamante, he offered to dismiss the conservative ministers and appoint liberals in their stead. The Senate replied by a verdict of censure upon the President, who, they declared, had rendered himself unworthy of the dignity to which he had been raised. Carrion was obliged, in consequence, to resign his presidency. By the laws of the Constitution, the Vice-President, Artita, was to occupy the place till a fresh President was elected. But this did not suit the Radicals. Artita was both a Conservative and a Catholic, so they quickly dismissed him on some pretended plea of illegality and Pedro Carbo, president of the council, was appointed in his place, and determined to recall Urbina and re-establish a radical republic. Before, however, this coup d'etat could be fully carried out, the sudden arrival of Garcia Marina was announced. He had returned from Guayaquil, owing to the unexpected and serious illness of his little girl. Greatly disconcerted at this news, the radicals hesitated. The conservatives flew to Garcia Marino as to one sent by God to save them from ruin, People and deputies implored him to take once more the reins of government to save the country from a relapse into utter anarchy. He found himself, in fact, absolute master of the position, and had only to say one word to determine a universal pronunciamento in his favor. But he would not. Only he promised them to bar the way of the revolution, and by one of those able and rapid actions which were so familiar to him, to foil all the plans of the socialists. Convoking a council of his political friends, he made them understand that a complete change of government, if carried out with promptitude and resolution, would at once restore order and peace. President Carrion must resign, and be replaced by the vice-president, Artita, who would proceed immediately with the election of a new head of the state. Garcia Marina proposed Don Xavier Espinoza for the vacant president's chair, a lawyer esteemed by all for his love of justice, and besides an excellent Catholic. He was a moderate liberal in politics, and such a choice would rally both conservatives and liberals, so that the urbanists would lose all power and influence. With his habitual energy, Garcia Marina set himself to carry out this program, which had received the universal approval of his friends. He first intimated to carry on the necessity for his resignation, 
which he agreed to, having first ascertained that the army would not support him. Then Archita, in his position as vice-president, instantly issued a decree convoking the electors to choose a fresh president. The name of Espinoza was received with such enthusiasm by the people that the radicals did not dare propose an opponent. A month after, the crisis was over, and the new government installed for eighteen months, that is, to the end of the time fixed by the Constitution. On the 25th of December, Garcia Moreno wrote to a friend from Guayaquil, I have just come back from Quito, where I went solely to see my little girl, who was dying. You know already how Providence had led me to that town at that moment. The candidate whom I presented for the presidency was received with enthusiasm, even by a certain number of radicals. The elections, which ended on the 21st of this month, had brought about peace and concord. We may now boast of having the best of men as president. Our poor Ecuador has just passed through a terrible crisis, which might have ended in a disastrous civil war. Let us add, before concluding this chapter, that if civil war did not break out in this unhappy country, it was only thanks to the energy and ability of our Christian hero, who, without any personal ambition or interested views, thought of nothing but the welfare of his country, and would never make peace with the partisans of the revolution. End of part two, chapter nineteen.